Morning. We're continuing our series in the book of Daniel. Today I'll be reading from Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 23. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of his authority over us. In the first year of Darius, son of Asherus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Now picking up in verse 16. O Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas because because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight, and at the evening sacrifice, he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. My name is Craig. I'm one of the elders here. Thankful to be able to welcome you guys and open God's word this morning. But first thing is first. Last week, while I was preaching, I was talking about perseverance. And one of the examples that I used was what goes on in my backyard. I talked about Creeping Charlie. Now, when I finished my sermon, my phone was lit up with text. And it wasn't people saying to me, oh, Craig, I just felt so moved by the Spirit. Or, oh, Craig, thanks for bringing the word. It was, who is Creepy Charlie and why is he in your backyard? Some people thought it was a raccoon that I had named. Some people thought it was a drifter who just happened to live back there. Okay, people, we need to clear the air. Here's what's going on. I got a picture of Creepy Charlie. Are you ready? There he is. It's an invasive weed, okay? 
It's a plant. It's not, I'm not insulting a guy named Charlie in my backyard. I don't name vermin that come and invade. It's a plant. Perseverance. Anyway, just needed to clear the air, okay? Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are out there. I'm very thankful for the mothers in the room, including my own mom. Very thankful for you. I'm thankful for Darcy, mom to my kids. Um, Mother's Day is one of those days, and Shannon prayed this way. I really appreciated it. It's one of the days where it's great in some ways, and it's tough in others. It's good to remember God's kindness and faithfulness to us through uh, specific days like these that are set apart, and it also stirs up longings, um, things that we wish were different, uh, things that we wish weren't true. God knows, and he's near this morning. That's what I want. I wanted to share that with you. God knows where you're at, and he's near. Last week in our church, and the, the history of our church, um, had a similar feel. Last week, in some ways, um, was an encouraging and a hopeful week. And it was also a difficult week in our church's history. It was encouraging and hopeful for me and for Darcy, for my family. It was also difficult for us. It has been for a long time. We're sad. I also want to acknowledge that. What we need this morning, no matter what we're coming in here with, is found in God. He's the satisfier of our souls. He's who you are made to know. So just at the outset, I want to just pause in this moment with you, pray one more time, uh, turn to him together with you right now. So let's just pray one more time. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are worthy to be worshipped. You are the greatest. There is none like you. You're righteous and good. You're set apart. You're other in the greatest sense of it. You're beautiful. We worship you. Lord, draw near. Draw near to us. We need your comfort and help and your sustaining grace in these days. Draw near. We need to hear your voice this morning. Lord, we want to hear you speak to us. Father, come near. We want to see your glory. We want to have an encounter with you, the living God. We know that you are here. Thank you that we can, we can boldly come this morning because of our Savior, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for renewing our hearts and for making us new, for redeeming our lives, for restoring us to God. Just come now, Holy Spirit. Do your work among us. Bring your holy fire through your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to dive right in this morning. We're nearing the end of Daniel's life. Um, he's an old man. He's been faithful. He obeyed God. He lived through several kings and even a full-on empire change. He's been faithful to God um, as, a, as a younger guy and all the way through. Faithful to pray, faithful to, to live by God's law, faithful to read his word. And even in his old age, when he could have hung it up, stopped praying, stopped reading, he comes upon an important promise made through the prophet, prophet Jeremiah. That promise is going to be up here on your screen. Behind, there he is, yeah. Jeremiah 29. So Daniel's reading, and this is what he reads. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Let me give you a little context. 
in your Bible, if you're, if you're tracking with Daniel 9, this is verses 1, 2, and 3, okay? It says that he was looking, he was reading, and he stumbled upon this, just to give you context. Verse 11 here. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come, to, come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. So if you remember, Daniel and the people of Israel had been brought to Babylon as exiles. And the longing that they had was to return to Israel, to see Israel restored, see it renewed, rebuilt. And Daniel now, that was 70 years ago. Now 70 years later, Daniel's reading in the Bible and he comes across this promise and he does the math and he says, it's time. 70 years. And so what does Daniel do? That's a lot of what what Riley read for us today. He calls upon the Lord. He prays. Daniel sees God's promise in Jeremiah 29 and he responds. He responds by praying. Charles Spurgeon said this, the best praying person is the one who is most experientially familiar with the promises of God. After all, prayer is nothing but taking God's promises to him and saying to him, do as you have said. Prayer is the promise utilized. A prayer which is not based on a promise has no true foundation. We have to pray like this, brothers and sisters. This is more of a side note. This isn't the main point of the passage, but it does spark the prayer that we see happening all the way through this this chapter. We must pray with our Bibles open. Dane Ortland says that we breathe in the Word of God and we breathe out prayer. Why should we pray like this? Because if you pray like this, you can have such confidence when you pray. We can take, if we take God's promises to him, we know that he wants to do it. We know it's near his heart and we know he has power to do it. We hold those promises up to him, just like Spurgeon was talking to, and he said, do what you said that you would do. So when we pray like this, you have confidence. Oftentimes, another reason why it's important to pray this way is because we don't even know what to pray. Let God's word guide and shape your prayer life. Let it shape and form your prayers. What happens when you pray that way? You, not only your prayers, but you yourself will be formed to the heart of God. You'll be passionate about the things that God is passionate about. That's a good place to be. Which is what drives Daniel to his knees. He loves what God loves, he hates what God hates, and he sees something. He sees the promise of restoration... He sees that the time has come, but there is a serious, serious problem. So this is now, we're now looking at verses 4 through 19. What is the tone, if you think back to what Riley read, what is the tone of Daniel's prayer? Do you remember how it started? Please for mercy. Sackcloth. You know what sackcloth is? It's like rough material. It kind of scratches you up. It just makes you hurt, honestly. Fasting. Fasting. 
ashes, confession. If you break this prayer down, there's a cadence to it. It's kind of a rhythm. It goes, God, us. God, us. Back and forth, all the way down the prayer. What Daniel saw, the way that he's praying, what he saw in God's word was a promise of restoration, of renewal, of revival for God's people. But when he prays, what he sees is a huge separation, a huge chasm between God's people and the promise fulfilled. On one side of the chasm, God see, Daniel sees God. What does it say about God in this passage? Here's just a smattering of things it says about him. He is a great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love to whom belongs mercy and forgiveness and who is just, right, and fair. That's on one side of this chasm. And on the other side of this great separation, this, this yawning gap, are God's people. Daniel sees the people of God. What about them? They do not listen, though God sent many prophets. They committed treason against God. They turned to other gods for security, peace, and help. And God's people, despite all of God's kindness and goodness and rescue, turned away from him. That is the great separation that he sees. Daniel wants to see restoration. He wants to see that promise fulfilled. But all he sees are these people running away from the God who would fulfill their dreams and hopes. Now I think when, I think when Daniel was read to the exiles at that time, and after that time, it would probably cause a hush to fall over them. Daniel chapter 9. It would be a sober moment. They would know that Daniel's prayer, highlighting all these different shameful, guilty acts, was for them. They knew they felt short of what God wanted them to do. So what I, what I want to try to just press on you gently this morning is that that same moment is here for us right now. This is a moment of reflection for us. God's word is speaking to us. God himself is speaking to us. This is a moment for us to pause in the midst of our busy lives, our busy schedules, and listen, to listen to God's word. It's a moment for us to to pray the prayer of David in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Jeremiah, that prophecy that Daniel read that sparked this prayer said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Do I seek God with all my heart? Where are my allegiances? Where are my loves? What is my first love? Daniel confessed on behalf of the people that we don't listen to God's voice. Despite him sending many people into our lives, many were giving us many reasons to listen. We don't listen. 
Do I, do you, do we hear God's word and do it? Do we live how God wants us to live? One of the, one of the fun things to talk about in church life, one of the popular topics is re- revival, renewal. And honestly, I can get really pumped up about it. It's something I've prayed for for years. The thought that God would turn a huge number of people toward himself, away from their sin, away from their pathway toward hell, and toward life in his name, that is exciting. That's thrilling to think about. I, I want other people to experience the thrill that I have experienced, right? And to think that that would happen on scale, where we would see God at work in the world, in a world so broken, so needy. But here's what I want to say. Here's what this passage presses on us. Here's what I've been wrestling with all week. The Bible says that that type of revival, that type of renewal, that type of judgment starts with the household of God. If we want to see revival in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our cities, in our countries, if we want awakening among unreached people groups and among people in different races, different ethnic backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes, if we ache for justice and righteousness to roll down like mighty waters, if we want revival in our church, if we want revival in our families, repentance precedes revival. And repentance of sin starts with us. It starts with me. And it starts with you. It starts with my heart before a holy God. Now we have another problem too. Our, our spiritual taste buds, our hunger for God is easily dulled We live in a world that's just rampant with all forms of entertainment that dull our senses to the glories of God. We live in a world that normalizes sin, that things that God considers sinful become normal, acceptable. And then not to mention just the, the, the busyness, the hurried life, the pace that we live at. We lose our taste for God. We lose our taste for His glory, His holiness, His love, His mercy, His kindness, his righteousness, his goodness and his, his glory is obscured. We seek many things, but not the one for whom we are made. And I know that's true for some of us. This is the pervasive effects of sin. I know it's true in some ways for all of us. And so what do we do? We must repent. I must repent. So much this, this was such a weird sermon to prepare, to be perfectly honest. I just kept reading it. I kept thinking, Lord, what are you doing in my heart? What is, it, what is it that needs to be ripped out? What is it in me? Where am I not seeking you like I ought? And the Lord would bring things to the surface and I would pray that through. And I would say, Lord, do more because what happens when you do that rhythm of, of mortifying, killing sin by the power of the Holy Spirit is you get more of him. You're drawing closer and closer and closer to the Holy One of Israel. And you know what happens when you get closer and closer? You see more of your sin. Because he is so much higher and so much greater. He is so worthy of praise. And we are not. And we are not. 
But here's the promise. The call is to repent, but the promise is this. If you seek him, you will find him. As you draw near to him, you will receive forgiveness and comfort. You will experience renewal. Because of Jesus, because of the work that he did on the cross, we actually have the ability to effectively repent, to effectively change, to be transformed. So it starts here. Repentance starts here. Renewal. The renewal that Daniel sought, he knew it started in his own heart. The renewal that we seek in our world, I know some of you guys out there, especially you 18 to 25 year olds, you want to go change the world. Guess what? It starts in your own heart before a holy God. That's a great thing to go on and change the world, by the way. I'm not trying to put that down at all. God wants you to go and do that. He wants, you to, he wants to start in you. That's what this passage is about. It starts here. It doesn't end here. It doesn't end in you. But it starts here. Daniel had experienced God's inner revival. He knew God's nearness and holiness and righteousness so intimately. He felt it so keenly, so sharply, that when he surveyed the scene of his countrymen living in, first in the Babylonian Empire and now in the Persian Empire, and he saw their continued rebellion, he couldn't help but fall on his face before God and beg for mercy. It wasn't even exclusively his own sin. He so treasured the holiness of God and was so grieved by the sins of the people that he saw around him that he cried out for mercy, whether it was his deeds or not. That type of godly grief over the the nature of the world is the mark of a man or a woman of God. As we repent of our own sins, as we allow God to do the work in our own hearts, and as we draw near to God, we will look across the world and we will see where God is not honored and it will hurt. And that is right. We, as God's people, holy and set apart, like him. We, as God's people, we ought to look at things like rampant inequality in the world, racial divides and racism, materialism, violence in our communities, killing the unborn, wars and oppression, or even just the general drift of society away from the ways and the plans and the glory of God. And when we see that, something inside us ought to burn, ought to ache, ought to make us cringe. Because we know how great he is. We know how worthy he is of all the world's worship, and yet they do not worship him. That is what's driving Daniel. That ache that hunger, that jealousy for the glory of God, and he sees his people not worshiping him. He desires renewal, awakening, and yet the people do not obey him. And so he concludes his prayer. This is down in verse 18. He concludes his prayer crying for mercy. But look at Daniel's grounds for asking for mercy, the the basis by which he, he pleads for mercy. It's not, he doesn't turn to God and say, hey God, have mercy on us because the people promised they're going to obey this time. That's not it. Hey, God, have mercy on us because we'll, we'll clean up our act and then you can show us your mercy. 
that is also not the basis by which he asks for God's mercy. Verse 18. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. The basis for you and I, for Daniel, for the people of Israel at that time, for us right now, the basis for us to receive God's mercy is not found in your present or future obedience. The basis to receive God's mercy is because God is great. That's it. It's nothing in you. It is his glory and greatness. The basis for God showing you mercy is that he is merciful. It's one of the many ways God displays that greatness by showing mercy to undeserving sinners like you and me. He is great. Daniel sees the promises of God and he humbles himself before our merciful God. That posture, brothers and sisters, that is the posture from which revivals and awakenings are born. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a preacher in London from 1938 to 1968. He read about it, read about revival. He taught about renewal. He advocated for it. He prayed fervently to see it. He said this, If there is one respect in which God confounds the wisdom of the wise more than any other, it is revival. That's what Daniel wanted the world to see. This powerful nation, Babylon, then Persia, saying, we are the authority. We are God. We have the wisdom and the might. And Daniel was saying to God, no, God, show them your glory. Show them your power. That is the cry of the heart that has drawn near to God. God, show your glory. Make your ways known on the earth. That's why Moses prayed when he said, when God said, I'm going to make a nation out of you, I'm going to, I'm going to just b- destroy the nation, and I'm going to build you up into a nation, Moses. Moses said, no, no, no. Have mercy, but don't leave us, because it is your presence that sets us apart. Daniel, Moses, Martin Lloyd-Jones... What they wanted wanted the world to see was the power and the wisdom of God working through the people of God. And God does that through revival, through pouring out his might in a really concentrated way like this. Daniel wanted God to show and confound the wisdom of the Babylonians and the Persians. And even today, we want God to confound the wisdom of this world. What did Martin Lloyd-Jones say needed to happen prior to revival? This is what he said. The inevitable and constant preliminary, so the first thing that needs to happen prior to revival, has always been a thirst for God. A thirst. A living thirst for a knowledge of the living God. A longing and a burning desire to see him acting, manifesting himself and his power rising and scattering his enemies. What I want you to see this morning is that God is calling us through his word to join him in his passions, in his heart. He desires that his glory would be displayed in all the world. 
He's inviting us to cry out for renewal in our land. Renewal in ourselves, renewal out there. To devote yourself to a holy God who is truly good, the only one who satisfies and redeems and makes new, that's what he wants you to do. We see so many problems in the world. I get it. The gods of this age make lots of promises, promises they can never keep, promises like if you give yourself to a particular political stream or a particular ideological cause, then the renewal, the change that you seek will happen. Promises like if you just live how you really want to live, what you really feel, then you will be happy. Those promises are not true. Renewal comes, the renewal that we seek in our land, the renewal we seek around us, whether it's small, like our family, or big, like our nation, or the world, comes through the God of the Bible, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And renewal and restoration begins just like Daniel, on our knees, confessing our sins before God, crying out to him to come and renew our land. All revivals, historic revivals, start this way. Through prayer, through conviction of sin, through hungering for God. It must be a work of God's spirit. It must be sparked by him. I could tell you about the Haystack Prayer Revival. That marked really the beginning of the American missionary movement overseas. It was birthed out of hungering for God and repenting of sin. If I had more time, I would tell you about the prayer meeting revival of 1857. Businessmen in New York City got together, started praying together over their lunch hour. It started with six, then it became 20, then it became 30, then it became 10,000. And that revival spread across the entire country. Hundreds of thousands of people trusted Christ in under two years. Started with a simple businessman prayer meeting. Seeking God, repenting of sin, calling out for God's glory to be displayed in the world. I could tell you about the Korean revival that began with prayer and repentance one night and spilled out across the entire nation and to the world. So here's my question for you. Is he drawing you into this? Are you seeking renewal in a particular area of your life? Do you long to see him come into your your neck of the woods, your corner of the world? I would invite you then to to model your prayer after Daniel. Praise his greatness, his mercy, his holiness, his willingness to forgive, his righteousness. Confess your sin and your disobedience to him. Ask God to search your heart to reveal what is evil in you. Repent, turn from it. You can because of Jesus. Friends, that, that process... That's something I have to do again and again and again throughout my life. And honestly, in particular, over the last two years of my life, I have wrestled as a leader with my failures and my sins, my weaknesses. The Lord has laid me bare. But repentance precedes revival. And revival starts in our land When revival starts in our hearts. So ask the Lord to search your heart even right now. What is he saying to you about your own life? About your sin? Where do you need to repent? What do you need to confess? Is there somebody in this room that you need to go talk to before before we even leave the room and say, 
I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Three closing thoughts. Verses 20 through 23. As Daniel's praying, we see that God is already at work. Gabriel, the angel, was sent by God. And then he says this to Daniel. I think it'll be up here on your screen. Verses 22, 23. Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. That chasm between us and God, the people of the world and God, it can seem so far. But remember this important truth. If you seek God, if you trust in Christ, he hears your prayers. He responds at the beginning of your pleas. He responds so quickly when you open your heart to him. And he tells you, you are greatly loved. One more thought, two more thoughts. In Gabriel's interpretation at the end, verse 24 through 27, Daniel finds that his desire for the 70 years to end and full restoration of Israel is actually going to be a lot longer. It's going to be 77s is what it says. Yet when he's told that, he's brought again behind the curtain to see that God is working not merely to return Israel to its former, former physical glory, but to, verse 24, bring in everlasting righteousness. The timing wasn't what Daniel hoped when he started praying, but the outcome was far greater than he had ever dreamed. Do you understand that? He prayed. He hoped for an immediate response. God said, no. But what I have for you is something so, so, so much greater. We don't know the timing of God's response to our prayers, to your prayers. But we do know that whatever the outcome, it'll be marvelous for all who trust in him. Those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. And here's the last thought. Daniel seeks God for restoration, for revival for God's people. That's kind of why he starts to pray in the first place. And he does it by confessing his sins, and primarily the sins of God's people. Not his own sins, but the sins of the people. What is Daniel doing when he does that? He is interceding for God's people. Praying for revival, for gospel renewal, is us taking up that role, that position of intercessor. We intercede, when we intercede for not only ourselves, but for our family and for our church and for our city and for our community, for the nation, for the world, we're interceding. God desires intercessors. But here's what I, I'll explain what that means here in a second, but here's what I want you to understand most of all, is that Jesus lives to intercede for you. Hebrews seven twenty five. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Dane Ortland has a great chapter on this in the book Gentle and Lowly. He explains intercession like this. When we think of Jesus and his work for us, we often think of something that's in the past. His work on the cross where Jesus dealt with our sins and gave us his righteousness. But if you guys ever asked yourself the question, what is Jesus doing right now? Why do you need Jesus like right now, sitting here in this moment? Hebrews 7.25 tells us that Jesus lives to intercede. What does that mean, to intercede? 
It's like a third party that comes between two others. Think of an agent for a movie star or a sports star. The agent intercedes on behalf of the, the star before the sports team or the, or the movie studio. So what does it mean that Jesus intercedes for us? He's our intercessor between us and the Father. He continues to lift us up before God himself. Now, didn't Jesus do everything we needed to at the cross? Aren't we good with God? Yes, he did. We are good with God. So, intercession, Ortland says, is the moment-by-moment application of Jesus' atoning work on the cross. Intercession is the constant hitting of the refresh button on your computer. You know that button, that old button? It's constant hitting the refresh button on our justification in the court of heaven. I think of it like Jesus standing next to me, hand on my shoulder, saying, yeah, it's true. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're mine. I'm with you. It's true. You're forgiven. You're loved. I'm with you. Over and over and over again. Ortland says it's like an older brother watching a younger brother run a race. The younger brother is way ahead of the other runners. And he's coming down to the last 100 meters. He's for sure going to win. And so does that older brother who's watching the younger brother just sit back and do nothing? No. The older brother goes crazy. Cheers that little brother on all the way across the finish line. That's what Jesus is doing for us. Our true older brother. Cheering us towards our certain victory. That's what his intercession is for us. It's just another example of the Bible showing us that Jesus' mercy is never going to run out for you. He always lives to make intercession for us. I'll close with this. Ortland said, Our prayer life stinks most of the time. But if you heard Jesus praying aloud for you in the rest, next room, what if you heard that? Few things would calm us more deeply. Jesus is interceding for you, brothers and sisters. Seek the Lord. He will be found. Do not harden your heart to his voice this day. Turn from sin. Walk in holiness before him. The renewal, the revival starts in you. He will renew, revive, and restore you, your family, your neighborhoods, the city. He will hear and he will move. You are dearly loved. And as you intercede, remember, the one who is seated on the throne is interceding for you. Let's pray. Lord, give us, give us a holy angst. Give us a holy grief over the condition of our own sinful hearts and the sinful world that we live in. Help us to ache for the renewal that will come only in your name, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to be holy, set apart for for you. Come and do this renewal, this reviving work in us. And Lord, as you do it in us, cause it to spill out beyond the walls of this church, beyond the walls of our homes, into our schools and into our workplaces, into our families, our extended families, into places that are near and places that are far among the unreached, Lord, do this great work. Do Daniel 9 in us. Thank you, Jesus, that as we intercede, you are interceding for us. 
We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.